Good evening. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 reads like this. It says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Can we start a petition to have this verse banned from being printed on sympathy cards and greeting cards? I mean, it sends a shiver down my spine every time I see a sympathy card that quotes Romans 8, 28. Or the phrase that goes along with this verse quite often is, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. So let me get this straight. A mother and a father have a five-year-old daughter who has been suffering from debilitating headaches. They take her to the hospital where they do a CT scan and discover that she has a massive brain tumor that is inoperable and she's given only six months to live. And so the mother and father now have to watch their precious little five-year-old daughter waste away before their eyes. Or the young man who's driving home from college for the holidays and a drunk driver crosses the center line, hitting him head on, killing him instantly. You know, parents shouldn't have to bury their children, but now his parents you have to do that very thing or the mother who is struggling to raise three kids because her husband is absent he's always at work he doesn't want much to do with her or the kids and finally he comes home one day and says I'm out of here I found somebody else so if if I read Romans 8:28 correctly then what it's saying is that all these things are just blessings in disguise that's what it's telling me, that a person who gets cancer, it's, you know, it's really a good thing. You just got to see it differently. The person who, who's diagnosed with some debilitating disease, uh, the, the drunk driver that, that kills someone, all those are good things in disguise. I just need to see them differently. Is that what I'm supposed to believe? Because if that's, if that's what's right, if that's what Romans 8.28 is conveying, well, you can save those blessings for someone else, right? The twisted translation of Romans 8.28 is everything is good if you wait long enough. Obviously, the reason why this is included in our series is because that is completely out of context. And Romans 8.28 does not say that in any way, shape, or form. It does not convey the idea that everything happens for a reason or that everything that happens is somehow good. And we need to stop suggesting that God causes all affliction to occur. God did not cause Satan to rebel and thus lead to his exile from heaven. God didn't cause Adam and Eve to partake of that forbidden fruit. God didn't cause David to commit adultery with Bathsheba. God didn't build the Tower of Babel. Just as God didn't sign off on those terrorists flying those planes into the Twin Towers, killing thousands. God doesn't kill babies because he needs them in heaven more than their parents do. God doesn't give people cancer. Romans 8.28 in no way affirms that God is the source of the earth's ills and that he is behind every tragedy that befalls people. Does he permit them? Yes. Does he prefer them? No, not always. Does he generate them? No, not necessarily. I do realize, and you're probably thinking, well, Chris, didn't he do that in the Old Testament? Didn't he cause affliction and hardship for the people because of their disobedience? Yes, but even in those instances, 
his motivation was benevolent in nature. To pin every disease, every financial disaster, every tragedy on God is to tread on some very shaky soil. The idea that no matter what happens to us, it was God's will is ludicrous. The notion that unexplainable tragedy rooted in evil can somehow be traced back to God and his glorious plan for your life is totally out of line and out of step with Scripture. Let's look at this verse in context. Go back to verse 26, Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also justified, he also called, I should say. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what Romans 8.28 is about? It's about providence, which is a confusing concept, to say the least. However, it's, it's about what God can do with even the most adverse of circumstances. It doesn't mean that everything that happens to us should be considered good and necessary because God is behind it and he caused it. It simply means that God is there in our pain, in our suffering, in our mis misery, in our tragedy. Romans 8.28 is a promise that no matter what I may deal with in this life, no matter how bad it may get, tragedy will not triumph. God's ultimate eternal purpose will be realized. And really a key to understanding this, this whole passage is found in Romans 8.18, where Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. With Christ, triumph is a guarantee. We win, right? That's the message of the Bible. We win. We cannot lose. In fact, we have already won. We are victors. We overwhelmingly conquer, as Paul tells us later on in Romans chapter 8. Because God is the great equalizer, he is in control, the battle belongs to him, and therefore we have the blessed assurance that no matter what adversity we may deal with, no matter what may befall us, we win. The thrust of Paul's message is not that everything is a blessing in disguise, even unthinkable tragedy. That's not the message. The message of Romans 8 is that there is a silver lining. 
no matter how bad things get. And that silver lining is our deliverer, our rescuer. It's Jesus Christ. There are things that happen to us in this life that are not good. And you can't explain them away as good, no matter how hard you try. There are things that happen to us that are absolutely defeats. And there's no other way to define them. They are terrible, awful things. There's no getting around the fact that some things are bad, wicked, evil, and these things are not God's fault. We live in a fallen world. Satan is alive and well and doing daily battle with Christians. Sometimes we ignore God's word and we make foolish decisions and we bear the consequences. Everything may happen for a reason, and that reason may be that you're dumb or that you make dumb decisions. That does happen. Some suffering is unexplainable. We just can't explain it. Some suffering is generational. We suffer because of the sin of Adam and Eve and the fall. But many have bought into this idea that their lives are carefully orchestrated and that there is this some grand design for every minute detail and circumstance. They are never to blame for anything that they do, any choice that they make. The fact that they live in a fallen world never enters into their thinking. The truth that Satan is working on this earth is not even acknowledged. God gets the credit for everything. Good or bad, he gets the credit for everything. But folks, we've got to stop giving God the credit for the devil's handiwork. He is alive and well. He is doing damage. Again, everything may happen for a reason. There may be a cause behind everything that occurs, but that reason is not always God-driven or God-powered. My family just got back from Florida. We've done that several times over the years, gone as a family to Florida, and, and we were going to Pensacola, and we went to Paragould first because of Zoe's graduation, and it's a much quicker trip from Paragould to, to Florida than it is from here. And so it's about an eight-hour trip, and, and the only way to go is straight through Mississippi. And when you go through Mississippi, depending on which way you go, there's a couple of ways. You either go by a Toyota plant or a Nissan plant. You know, two different towns, but, you know, whichever way you go, you're going to go by one of those plants. We've been by the Nissan plant several times, and it's a really long, long plant, long factory. And if you were to pull over on the side of the road and watch a car being made, do you know what you would see? You would see a truck drive in with component parts, then you'd see a new automobile come out the other end. That's what you'd see. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot more that goes on inside that building, right? But you can't see in the building. What you would see would be a truck bringing the parts and then a new automobile rolling out at the other end. You don't see the process, but you know there's a process. You know that that car didn't just come into being. You know something had to happen in between. What by itself seems to have no purpose in the end is indispensable. What matters on the inside really matters, right? God can make sense out of what doesn't make sense to us, out of what we may not can see. He can take those component parts and he can make something beautiful. He can take those raw parts and turn them into something useful because he is a divine designer who can create something functional and beautiful from something that seemed to have no purpose. But we'll never grasp this if we only judge the end by the beginning because there's a whole lot that goes on in between. Many of the things that make no sense to us in isolation are in fact working together to produce something good in my life. We talked about it this morning with the story of Job. A lot of things were going on on earth, but there's a lot going on in heaven that they weren't privy to. God is always working. 
When Paul wrote, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, he was talking about a divine strategy. That phrase, work together in the Greek, is synergion. It's where we get our word synergy, and we know what synergy means. It means working together toward a common goal or a good result. And Romans 8.28 is referring to a divine strategy that exists even, even in our darkest moments. There is good that can be produced from the adversity that we endure. In fact, the good that is ultimately produced could not happen any other way a lot of times. Think about the different defeats in your life. Anybody here not ever dealt with a defeat? I don't see any hands. Crew, I think, raised his hand. That would be true. Anybody else? Now, we've all had a defeat in life, at least one, probably more than one. Think about the different defeats in life. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a devastating diagnosis. Maybe it was a, a, a car wreck, an accident that set you back. Maybe it, was, uh, maybe it was the loss of a child or the loss of a loved one, loss of a spouse. You think about those different defeats in your life, there was nothing good about those. Nothing good about those. But can't you look back on those now after some time has elapsed and say that, that perhaps they made me stronger? That in some way my faith was strengthened? I mean, I'm assuming that those of you who have dealt with those defeats that are sitting here tonight are still here because you didn't allow them to ultimately win. I think if we're being honest, and if enough time goes by, now, don't get me wrong, time doesn't heal our wounds. I don't believe that mess. You never get over it. But can we not admit that some of the defeats that we've endured in life have been like a minister to us to some degree? That they've helped strengthen our faith and our character? It is through defeat that we come to know and understand that our life is about something bigger and better. Defeat is not a bad thing if it leads to something beneficial. It's not a good thing in and of itself, and I'm not telling you you need to pray for defeat, but if it does come, it can be used. I, I can remember when I was coaching, I had some really good baseball teams, despite the coaching, and one of my teams uh, was ranked number two in the state all year. We, we had a really good team, and we had started the year undefeated. I think we were like 10-0, and 0, and the kids were getting pretty cocky. They were pretty full of themselves, and I knew that something had to be done. In baseball, you don't care about going undefeated. You're going to lose games. And so I was kind of hoping we would lose a game here or there, you know, kind of teach a lesson. Uh, it, you know, sometimes you can learn something by being taken behind the woodshed. And so I came out one day to practice, and I had a copy of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette that had us in there, ranked number two, right behind Omaha, Arkansas. There we were, one and two, and everybody was looking forward to the showdown in the state championship between Omaha and, and Court Charlotte because they believed those were the two best teams in the state, and our kids were buying into it. They were drinking the Kool-Aid. And so I bring out this newspaper, and I said, you know, guys, what is this? And they said, well, it's Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Yeah, I said, well, what does this say right here? And they said, well, it says we're number two in the state. And I said, well, what does that mean? And one of the kids said, it means we're really good. I said, yeah, but what does it mean? I said, it means we're like one of the top teams in the state. I said, yeah, but what does it really mean? Everybody just kept looking at me like, what are you asking? And I took the thing and I ripped it up and I threw it on the ground and I stomped it. I made a big spectacle out of it and everything. I, you know, exaggerated it quite a bit. And I said, it means nothing. It means nothing. And at the end of the year, when everything's said and done and we're still number two, what does that mean? Nobody remembers number two. My point was, it doesn't matter where we're at right now. 
What matters is how we finish. And, and that would be, I think, part of Paul's message. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. What matters is the direction you're headed. And it doesn't really matter how you get there necessarily, as long as you get there, right? What does it mean? It means that there is a silver lining no matter what the defeat in life. There's a, there's a silver lining. Remember Joseph? I think Joseph is a case study in providence. And really, you can see the whole message of Romans 8.28 play out in his life. You know, he was sold by his brothers into slavery. He refused the advances of Potiphar's wife, and so he sat in prison for a lengthy time. But then he rose to prominence because he was faithful. He became, uh, you know, a great place of authority. And he saved the Israelites and the surrounding nations from a severe famine. But in reading this story, it's easy to see where the wicked attitudes and actions within this amazing chain of events brings about a, a terrific end to the story, right? Was God behind all these wicked actions and attitudes? No, not at all. Didn't prefer them. He didn't calculate them. Yet God was able to work in the midst of these adverse conditions. Notice what Joseph says to his brothers. I love this in Genesis 50 and verse 20. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. God was still at work in the midst of the evil intentions of Joseph's brothers. Notice Joseph doesn't say to his brothers, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. He doesn't say that their attitudes and their actions were good or necessary. He didn't say that everything happens for a reason. He believed that God was at work despite their wicked intentions. God can and will accomplish his good purposes no matter what the situation and circumstance. But that doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is somehow good and necessary. Sometimes it's not. And there's no other way to define it but bad, wicked, awful, whatever, whatever synonym you want to use. The first man to be appointed king over the Israelite people was Saul. You remember the people wanted a king to be like the other nations around them. They thought that an earthly king could do for them where God failed them. And so God tried to convince them that they had the best king, that they needed another king. But they eventually kept pleading with him, and he eventually re relented and gave them the exact king that they wanted. I mean, he fit the bill. Saul was good-looking. He was courageous. I mean, he, he was the guy that they needed, at least they thought. But Saul, of course, turned out to not be such a good king. Hosea chapter 13, verse 11, it reads, um, chapter 13, excuse me. If you, I gave you a king in my anger and took him away with my wrath. And through the prophet Samuel, God warned the Hebrews that they were making a big mistake. He told them the dark days were in their future. But here's the crucial point that I want to point out. God was not responsible for the wicked temperament of Saul. Nevertheless, God used the weakness of Saul to prepare the way for David. The less than desirable reign of Saul was used by God to bring about a higher good. And, and we could go forward with many other examples from Scripture, but the theme of Romans 8.28 is not that everything happens for a reason. Romans 8.28 is about God's providence. It's about what God can do in even the most adverse of conditions and circumstances. And I think a big part of understanding all of this is coming around to the idea of what it means to have a good life or maybe to define good. How do we define good? What would we call the good life? Well, you know, a, uh, 
you know, a hefty bank account, maybe a fat wallet, you know, a nice house, you know, good kids, godly kids, food on the table. In general, good for us means a better set of circumstances, right? That's what good is for us. But that's not necessarily the biblical view of good. We read of many people in the Bible that were living a less than good circumstance or living in less than good conditions, but they were still enjoying the good life because of how they lived. These people lived with a heavenly perspective. They took the long view. Do you believe that God is at work in your life right at this moment? Maybe kind of hard to see because you're dealing with a defeat, but I most definitely believe that he is. However, he is not committed to just making you happy and successful. That's not his work. He's committed to making you more like Christ. And please hear me on this. You might resist this at first, but please hear me on this. No matter what defeat that you deal with, if it helps you to be more like Christ, isn't it worth it? Whatever it takes to make me more like Jesus, isn't that going to be worth it? Again, that doesn't mean that God is causing tragedy to happen in your life to get there, but he can certainly use it. Our good and God's good are sometimes two distinctly different things. We want happiness that comes from the temporary, and he wants righteousness that comes from the spiritual. When Paul says that all things work together for good, he's not saying that all tragedy and suffering is good. He's not even saying that these things will produce a better set of circumstances. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But the tragedy and suffering can make us more like Jesus, and that is the ultimate good. A father had a son who was killed in an accident. He became angry with God. And he went to see his preacher, and in his anger he said, Where was God when my son died? And the preacher thought about the question for a moment, and then he replied, Same place that he was when his son died. You see, God has lost a son. God is there, even in your defeats. God doesn't just put us on earth, give us a Bible and say, hope you make it. He is there for us, even in the dark circumstances, even in the defeats, even in tragedy. You know, sometimes when things happen, bad things happen to our Christian brothers and sisters, we want to we spiritualize it. and We want to be the spiritual coach and we want to give them, you know, profound insight or something of that nature and you know what happens most often is we ruin our credibility most of the time we say the wrong thing that's why I always say the best thing to say is probably nothing or I'll be praying for you or I love you right God's not fragile he doesn't need us to stick up for him doesn't need us to protect him he knows what he's doing sometimes the best thing to say is nothing because we don't understand it ourselves there will always be question marks when it comes to understanding God and his work Here's what we do know, though. There's no question mark about this. God is in control, and that should be enough for us. You know, we may not have all the answers, but we know who does. And we know who is in charge. And thanks be to God that because he sent the silver lining, because we have hope in Jesus Christ, defeat does not have the last word. Triumph is found in the end. We win, right? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for this day. We pray that as we leave here tonight, that we can go out into the world, that we can shine your light, that we can be salt of the earth people, that we can be ambassadors for you that glorify you in everything that we do. We thank you for this church family. We thank you for loving us and for showing us grace and mercy, forgiving us. And we pray, God, that we can be like Jesus to others. We love you, God. Help us, God, in everything that we do to glorify you. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So we want to invite you if, you, if you're dealing with defeat in life, if you have something that you'd like us to pray about, if we can help you in some way, maybe you'd like to study the Bible with someone or, or take the next step in faith. If that's baptism, then certainly we'd like to take care of that as well. This is a family that loves you and wants what's best for you. So let us help you. Come now as we stand and as we sing.